0: Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for
1: you. This nation will rise up. One <laughs>
0: Hello, world. Welcome to the Virgin Voyage of Smart People Podcast. Uh, I am Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. And uh, we are the hosts of this podcast coming to you. First, I guess we'll tell you a little bit about what this is, uh, why you're listening. Uh, smart People Podcast is, is exactly what it sounds like. We will interview every week uh, a smart person. On a random subject and we promise it will be interesting and you can trust the information
2: we also want everybody to keep listening because the quality will increase as we mentioned uh, we just started doing this podcast we're just trying to get everything down figure out audio levels etc keep listening
0: you'll hear very good guests and hopefully better audio quality Uh, basically you know How we came up with this was, I'll give you a little background on our story. Roach, by the way, as he is commonly known, and I will refer to him as that, uh, except in interviews. Roach and I used to live in Arlington, Virginia, graduated in 2005 from uh, James Madison University, and we were on the, the adult track, if you will. Pretty good jobs, big companies, not as big paychecks, but you know, can't complain. And uh, we kind of decided to pick it all up, uh, get out of there, move to Scottsdale, Arizona, at least over the winter, and uh, and try some things out. And this was a creation of it.
2: Yeah, we just we wanted to figure out what we really wanted to do in life. Still don't know right now, but figured that this would be a a great hobby, a way to meet interesting people, learn all kinds of new things.
0: Yeah, I mean that's kind of actually a good lead in. You know, uh, the reason we came up with this kind of specific topic and, and, and this format is, you know, we don't know what the hell we're doing. And, uh, if you can talk to people in various fields, everything from, you know, astrology to, uh, security to, uh, nutrition and philosophy, you can learn something along the way. Um, as they say, you can always learn from, uh, your elders, right? So anyways, um, That's what it's about. That's our story. We promise, especially in the future, we're not here to talk. We're not here to bore you, um, give much of our opinions. We kind of want to provide a forum uh, where you can tune in every week and be promised a good podcast by somebody who deserves your attention. Um, Also, I'd like to plug real quick. uh, We do have a a website that's up and running, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Go ahead and check that out. We will post the podcast there. Um, bios of the people you can comment ask questions anything like that we also have a twitter which is uh... smart people pod Um, you can you
2: can find our twitter name on the website and also on the website as well as the guest bios we'll also be linking to their books websites etc so if you find any of these guys interesting you can support them pick up their books check out their
0: websites Alright, so uh, without further ado, we'd like to introduce the first topic that we have on Smart People Podcast, and that is nutrition. We chose nutrition because both of us have been you know, uh, in sports our entire lives and tried to keep in shape, and most of you know it's tough to find good information out there. I mean, you can, from various sources, you just find all types of conflicting things, so we figured, where can we go to get you know the best scientifically proven information um, on everything, on what you should be eating, how much, what's in the food, things like that? And uh, we we actually found a great guy. So in trying to find out correct nutrition advice, we came across Dr. Walter Willett, who will be our first guest. We got lucky that he, uh, you know, he agreed to be on our first podcast. As we're not well known, we don't have. An audience at this point to offer him, but let me just give you an example of how smart these people really are that we're going to be talking to. Um, he's not only an MD, he's also a Dr. PH, uh, which is Doctor of Public Health. He is a professor of epidemiology, nutrition, and medicine at Harvard University. He also is the chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard. Um, he's published over a thousand scientific articles regarding various aspects of of diet and disease, and um, he's the second most cited author in clinical medicine, which I thought was, uh, was actually really interesting. He's best known for his book Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy. And one of the most interesting things about Dr. Willett
2: was his food pyramid that he came up with uh, in comparison to the food pyramid that has been followed by uh, people in the United States for over 50 years. I actually got a chance to have some, uh, some good conversation with Dr. Willett prior to recording. We were discussing the fact that low-fat, non-fat, cholesterol-free has been uh, around for a long time, but it turns out that this is actually an unhealthy lifestyle, and Dr. Willett went on to say that the trans fats found in these products are actually higher than if you were to eat foods with healthy fats. Um, he mentioned that not all fats were bad and that the healthy fats have benefits to them. So we're going to go ahead and pick up the interview at that point, and here's Dr. Willett. I guess one of the, uh, the main focuses then um, uh, should be calories. Is, is this correct?
1: Uh, calories is really important, I and mean, there's no single one factor to focus on in diet. In some ways, I liken uh, 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 diet and nutrition uh, to an orchestra. Uh, you've got to have all the pieces there, and they've all got to be working in harmony in to produce either good sound or, in case of nutrition, uh, good health. So, uh, the overall amount of food we eat represented by calories is really important uh, because if that's more than the calories we're burning off we're going to be gaining weight, and that has become probably the number one nutritional issue in the United States as uh overweight and obesity have gone up we're we're starting to pay huge health prices for that but uh calories is important uh, but the quality or the the type of calories we get is uh, very important as well. We already talked about the type of fat being really important, uh, but the same applies to carbohydrate. That uh, Carbohydrate is neither good nor bad, uh, but there are good carbohydrates, meaning whole grain, high fiber forms of carbohydrates and bad carbohydrates, which are sugar and refined starches. Unfortunately, in the American diet, the large majority of calories are from the bad sources, refined starch sugar. Also, the protein choices make an important difference. It's not just the protein per se, but it's the protein package. So, about the worst is our beef or red meat, because that protein comes along with a lot of saturated fat and cholesterol and probably some other things in red meat that increase the risk of heart disease and diabetes. But protein in the form of uh, nuts and beans, soy products, um, uh, vegetable sources of protein, in other words, and a moderate amount of fish and uh, poultry, uh, that combination of protein can be very healthy, particularly when we use that to replace the uh, large amounts of red meat in our diet so well, those are really uh, the important things to consider when we 're talking about calories it's the total amount of calories is very important, but the source of those calories is equally important.
0: Um. I guess on along the same uh, same lines here, I was wondering your take on things like uh, grass-fed beef or wild-caught salmon. Do you think that um, if you you know stick to more organic, naturally raised um, food products, you know uh, protein sources, meats, um, is that going to in the end you know be healthier? Can you eat more of it? Say if you don't eat grain-fed cattle. Um, and things like that? Is that... uh...
1: Uh, We, in reality, don't have much direct data that bear on that question. That's uh, something a lot of people ask, but uh, I suspect that it's not going to make much difference, actually. Maybe a little bit difference uh, with, say, grass-fed beef compared to grain-fed animals, but the grass fed beef are still going to be high in cholesterol and uh, because actually the cholesterol comes from the uh, the lean part of the meat actually primarily uh, and that's going to be just as high in grass fed animals or even higher because the fat content's a little bit lower uh, and it may be there's quite a bit of evidence that it's the uh, the heme iron the form of iron we get from red meat that is uh, causing part of the problem also. So I think the best thing to do is actually whether it's uh, – if you like to have beef, uh, the main thing is to have it in small amounts and if, and if we're having it in small amounts, I don't think it really does make too much difference whether it's grass fed or, uh, or grain fed. Some of the environmental effects actually may be uh, quite important and uh, for our long-term survival and well-being, that certainly is an important consideration.
2: I wanted to take a step back to uh, when you were talking about starches with potatoes and and rice, etc. In your I guess revised food pyramid, you have uh, whole grains as being a very important block of that pyramid. Um, can you give some examples of how? you should eat whole grains throughout the day, how much you should eat. For example, with lunch, you know, what whole grains should be included to make sure that you're getting enough whole grains for the day?
1: Sure. Um, As you say, whole grains do turn out to be really important because – the natural whole grain has not just a lot of fiber in it, but a lot of minerals and vitamins as well, and when we refine that grain, we're taking away the fiber, we're taking away the majority of the minerals and vitamins, and so we've really stripped the grain of its nutritional value, and what's left is the starch, and it's become very apparent that uh, that starch, uh, just like sugar, uh, actually has adverse metabolic effects, and uh, particularly it's a form of grain that's been ground up into fine powder, like a flour-based product, such as bread. And those that form of carbohydrates absorb very rapidly, uh, makes our blood sugar shoot up, creates a much larger demand for insulin production by the pancreas, and in the long run, that uh, increases our risk of type 2 diabetes and, and heart disease and, and other conditions as well. So the, the form of the grain is very important, and we should be looking for the whole grains. That um, It's not uh, very hard to do that. The whole grains are a lot more available in stores than they were even uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So that means instead of having white bread, having whole grain uh, bread, uh, and it should say on the ingredient list uh, as the first ingredient, whole either wheat or whole oats or something like that. You want to see that word whole there. If you're having rice, it means having brown rice instead of white rice. If you're having pasta, having whole grain pasta instead of white pasta. and Uh, I think those are all pretty easy trade-offs. The one trade-off that's not so easy is that there's no such thing as a whole grain potato. And so potatoes are, what we eat is almost all starch. And uh, that does have the same metabolic adverse effects as uh, large amounts of white bread. So keeping potatoes really uh, low in the diet is another important thing to focus on, and there, there is no whole grain version of that, unfortunately. There's no exact amount of whole grain uh, that we can uh, specify. The main thing is, if you are having grains or potatoes, really be converting those to uh, whole grain forms and, and really trying to minimize the refined form of uh, grains. Uh, and what uh, many people find, if they're really uh, just consuming whole grains, weight control uh, becomes easier because that uh, large amount of fiber is more satisfying, and it stays in our stomach longer and uh, leaves us uh, less hungry between meals.
2: And, and another uh, important aspect of weight control is obviously uh, exercise. And on your food pyramid, I mean, it's the it is the bottom block, which I find you know very interesting that. Uh, that's really one of the i guess first times that that's been included now with exercise i mean times have times have definitely changed compared to uh people you know working in fields and factories. They used to get exercise throughout the, the entire day and now you know most people sit behind desks or or have jobs where they're they're not getting as much exercise as those that worked in the fields. Uh, what does a normal person need to do to make sure that they get enough exercise in a day? What What is your recommended amount and how can we, I guess, as humans make up for the fact that we're now working more sedimentary jobs as opposed to the physical jobs that we used to in the past?
1: Right. That's absolutely true. In the past, uh, we didn't think need to think about getting exercise because it was just automatically part of what we had to do in our day-to-day activities. But now, as you say, most of our lives involve sitting or driving or watching television or uh, otherwise relaxing in a chair. So we have to really make a conscious attempt to make sure we've got physical activity built into our everyday life. And uh, the amount is in general the more the better, but it's actually surprising how even a fairly small amount of exercise compared to someone working in the fields all day can still be very important for our health. And uh, that is the amount of exercise is... Uh, and so a minimum amount we should be aiming for is about half an hour a day of uh, vigorous uh, moderate to vigorous activity that means like walking fast not just walking slow but walking fast or running or really uh, being active active enough to work up a sweat and uh, if you're uh, just walking if walking is the only part of it then you need to probably walk about uh, an hour a day to get the minimum amount of activity that we really need uh, uh, More is better and it's also what we're seeing is it's useful to do not just this aerobic kind of exercise where we walk fast enough to uh, breathe a little faster and work up a little bit of sweat, but also to incorporate resistance training or muscle building kinds of uh, activities into our daily uh, or weekly pattern, Uh, and it's impressive, even three or four times a week of resistance training. That means like using uh, elastic bands or weights to uh, strengthen our muscles. Uh, That's very important uh, as well. In part, that's one way of getting upper body exercise that we otherwise don't very often get. But using those muscles and strengthening those muscles actually means that the muscles take up blood glucose more effectively and reduce our need for insulin secretion. And so it really, uh, amazingly, uh, just, you can see that within hours of, uh, being physically active, uh, metabolically are, uh, we're better off because our muscles are taking up the glucose and reducing our need for insulin. So, uh, the important part is to be, uh, building into our daily life almost, uh, almost every day some form of physical activity and trying to at least three or four times a week incorporate resistance training as well.
0: I actually wanted to really quickly, I know we're running out of time here, but um, I wanted to ask you a a few questions about things that are uh, very prevalent today in the news, people hear a lot about, and I think we can get confused about or uh, not sure what advice to follow. The first thing I was wondering was basically... I've been hearing a lot, you know, about antioxidants these days, drink pomegranate juice, you know, uh, drink green tea. I wanted to know if you had any insight on uh, why there's a big push for antioxidants and is this push valid? Um, Does science and research back it?
1: Right. That antioxidant area has been very uh, challenging scientifically to get clear answers on that, and that's... I think probably one of the most important reasons for some confusion in the general public because people hear uh, from little pieces of science that antioxidants are important and then a study may come out and be uh, no and not show anything. Uh, uh, part of the reason is that the long-term effects of antioxidants are very difficult to study. Uh, they are almost uh, sh- very uh, surely important because we our, our metabolism uh, just in functioning on a day-to-day basis creates a lot of uh, oxidative stress and the body has a whole complex system of antioxidant defenses to dampen down damage from that oxidative stress and uh, that may be one of the reasons why we have so many redundant systems even for protecting us from oxidative damage that it may be that adding some more from uh, pomegranate or uh, supplements or something like that may not make a huge difference because this is so important. We already have a lot of built-in defenses from oxidative stress, but um, there is some evidence that um, uh, oxidative uh, antioxidants can be helpful. One of the best uh, examples comes from the physician's health study trial where over 22,000 men were randomized for uh, to uh, either beta-carotene pills or placebo. And there was no change in heart disease or uh, cancer. But after 18 years, the men on beta-carotene actually had better cognitive function. And that's uh, really I think a very important finding because uh, it took 18 years for that benefit to show up almost there was no other study that's been that long which I think is telling us that uh, many of the studies that have been conducted are sort of naive they just haven't gone on for uh, long enough to see the sort of um, the uh, modest but important cumulative effects of um, uh, benefits of antioxidants and it was the first direct effect First drug demonstration that antioxidants can be beneficial for uh, protecting the brain from uh, d- the decline in uh, cognitive function that goes, uh, is, is uh, typical with uh, aging. Uh, so I don't think that that study means we should start uh, taking beta-carotene pills, but it does mean I think that we should uh, make sure our diet does include lots of fruits and vegetables, particularly uh, dark uh, green leafy vegetables and orange vegetables like carrots that are a good source of beta-carotene. Uh, we don't want to be short on that. So I, I think the general evidence uh, doesn't suggest uh, taking pills necessarily, but making sure we eat a diet that does have lots of antioxidants. I, I'm not so much a fan of uh, pomegranate juice because most of that has a good bit of sugar added, and that probably outweighs any benefit. But uh, having a pomegranate, having a variety of uh, vegetables, particularly green leafy vegetables, dark orange vegetables, uh, is is an important part of everyday healthy diet.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Maybe clear up a little bit. Also, uh, you mentioned you know weightlifting, how um, how that you know can be very important. And I know that um, growing up, doing a lot of weightlifting. I was kind of pushed towards doing protein supplementation, um, you know, what almost seemed like overconsumption of protein through powders and bars and things like that. Do you have any stance on um, if that protein, you know the amount of protein recommended is necessary and if overconsumption can cause damage, especially through the methods that uh, are, are available, such as powders and, and drinks and such?
1: I, I don't think there's any good evidence that uh, those really make very much difference. Uh, it's really actually the physical exercise itself that is really helps build up Strength. If we were really protein deficient, uh, the supplements might help. But uh, very few Americans are actually protein deficient. If you're having a, a variety of uh, a varied diet with uh, some combination of uh, meat or eggs or dairy products uh, or beans and nuts uh, and whole grains, you're going to you're going to get enough protein. And adding protein supplements on top of that uh, is very unlikely to have much additional benefit. Uh, now, if those supplements are really protein, um, it's probably not going to be harmful unless it's taken in huge amounts, but you really need to be careful because a lot of the supplements out there do contain hormones in them that can have adverse effects. And so I think it's really better, again, to go get our protein from food. Uh, they Again, the protein doesn't come in isolation. It comes as a package with uh, fat and you want to have uh, protein sources that have healthy fats which tend to be the vegetable sources of protein and and fish Um, and we get other minerals and vitamins when we eat those protein sources as foods that we we don't get those necessarily uh, taking protein supplements. So uh, the the bottom line is that uh, you can be absolutely healthy and strong and you don't need to take protein supplements.
0: Okay, great. Um, All right. well I guess in summation, for us, um, and, and for maybe for our listeners who haven't had a chance to read your book or have seen the, the food pyramid recommendation that you have, could you give a quick synopsis of, of how you believe you know uh, we should be eating today, and you know just a general idea of how to be healthier through the food that we um, that we use?
1: Sure, uh, it's really not too complicated, and uh just describing our pyramid for those who don't have it in front of them, right at the base, as you mentioned, we put regular uh, exercise, physical activity, and and uh, weight control because that really is important and almost all of us need to consciously build physical activity into our daily life. I would add, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean going to the gym. You can build it in the way you get to work. I ride my bike to work every day, so I automatically get half an hour of physical activity right there. It does make a difference. I'll try to do more on top of that, but that's a good base. Uh, then at the next level of our pyramid, we really put side by side, uh, whole grains and healthy fats. And that's out of the reality that the, everyone is going to get the vast majority of their calories from some combination of carbohydrate and fat. And what we've seen is it doesn't matter exactly what that percentage is or percentage of fat. Uh, calories and fat or carbohydrate, what's really important that we get some combination and that they'd be healthy forms of carbohydrate, the whole grains, or healthy fats, which are mainly the uh, vegetable plant oils. And then uh, at the next level, we put uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, and we should be consuming those in abundance. Uh, but uh, we did not put uh, fruit juices there quite specifically because it's way too easy to get an overdose of sugar from even 100% natural fruit juices. We uh, should be consuming them in in small amounts, if at all. We really should be consuming fruits as whole fruits. Then at the next level, uh, we put uh, uh, vegetable sources of protein, uh, beans, including soy products, and nuts. Uh, those are, those really have a lot of positive health value. And if you want to be a vegetarian, you can get all your protein that way. But if you want to be an omnivore, uh, it's good to have some of those. And then you can also have some protein from, uh, fish, from poultry, uh, small amounts from, uh, eggs as well. And fish, especially the fish are good to include because they are a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, then at the next level, uh, we put dairy products and that's the most complicated area because uh, there are some good nutrients in dairy products, but we see that overconsumption like three servings a day as recommended by the U.S. Food Guide Pyramid is really too much. We see that men have higher risks of fatal prostate cancer with uh, the equivalent of uh, three glasses of milk a day, either as milk or as cheese. And uh, that's, uh, that's an overdose of dairy products, but if you have uh, one or maybe two, sometimes two servings of dairy products, that seems to be okay, but you don't really need to have any. In fact, most of the world doesn't consume dairy products if they, you can get enough calcium from an otherwise uh, healthy diet. Uh, then up at the top, we put uh, the foods to use sparingly. and that doesn't mean you have to totally eliminate them if you like them a lot you can have them but have them no and then not on an everyday basis and that would be uh, foods like red meat and butter which do have a lot of saturated fat and cholesterol in them uh but even more importantly up there at the top we put the refined starches and sugar the white bread, white pasta, white rice, uh, or sweets made out of sugar, and especially uh, sodas and other sugary beverages. Those foods, actually most of them are at the base of the U.S. Food Guide pyramid, but those foods uh, have lots of empty calories in them. They lead to weight gain, diabetes, heart disease, and uh, don't have positive health benefits. So those are things we really want to keep low in our diet. Uh, unfortunately, they are the single biggest source of calories in the mainstream American diet, and that's probably that big amount of refined starch and sugar is probably now our number one nutritional problem.
0: Thank you very much. I'm sure our listeners uh, will will be healthier after this, so uh, so we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. I know you, you have a lot to do there at Harvard, but… um. Thank you so much, and uh, we'd like to uh, reiterate to our listeners that Dr. Willett um, has a few books out. the The most, uh, you know, the most popular would be Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy, which is a great book that uh, that we recommend everybody pick up to help them live a healthier life.
1: Thank you very much, and good to talk to you.
0: All right, thank you, thank you so much. Bye.
2: Guys, enjoyed that, and uh, I wanted to mention the music on the uh, podcast today has been provided by The Outdoors, and their music can actually be found on the web at TheOutdoors.bandcamp.com.
0: Well, I'd like to point out that I was talking to Dr. Willett off the air, and I asked him about the is one drink of alcohol a day good for you, and he said there's some truth to that one glass of beer or wine a night is good for you if you're over 50 years old and at risk for coronary heart disease. So for most of the people listening to this, no excuses. Again, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to listen next week when we talk to world-renowned sports psychiatrist, Dr. Michael Larden. Dr. Larden's going to talk to us about how to get in your zone, how to journal your own dreams, and a little bit about Tiger Woods. So uh, see you next week. Take it easy.